Super Talk Mississippi media production. I was there. Great dude, Fred Smoot. He's one of Mississippi's own. And, uh, you know, great dude, but something, something's wrong with that organization, man. I, I don't know what it is. Can't put my finger on it, but there's something wrong with that organization. All right, Jeremy, we want to thank you for being on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it could be worse, Jeremy. You could play for the Bengals, I guess. Oh, you know, you know, funny story about the Bengals. When I left Carolina initially, I I went to the Bengals. I was there for like three days. Uh, they were going to sign a, uh, uh, we were going to sign a contract with them, but I, I had some some legal troubles in Carolina, and that just wasn't what they were looking for because they had their fair share of uh, buffoonery going out there. So. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, everything happens for a reason. So I guess I dodged a bullet. No, no, you you wouldn't have fit in in Cincinnati because you had talent. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, Jeremy. Uh, I was reading your biography, and one thing that was really interesting to me is you talked a lot about a guy that I think was just one of the most colorful coaches in the history of the league, uh, Denny Green. Uh, and the yeah. article I read said you indicated he taught you an awful lot about how to be a professional football player. Talk to us, talk to us for a minute about your experience with the great Denny Green. Right. Well, first of all, rest in peace, Denny Green. Like you said, he is the great Denny Green, man. One of the greatest, uh, greatest eyes for talent that the NFL has ever seen. Man, he just, he just, and he really cared about the men that he coached, it, and it was deeper than football with him. He was the type that would, you know. He believed in the, in, in the philosophy of coaching that you, you coach hard, but you love your players even harder. And then he gave me my first opportunity to touch the field, which was, you know, he, when he first got, brought, me in, brought me in, and, you know, I'll never forget the day I got released from Philadelphia. I thought the world was over. I didn't really understand the NFL at that point. I was a baby. I was only 23 years old. And I got released, and four hours later, I was talking to Denny Green on the phone. He told me he had big plans for me, and, just getting over to Arizona was, was a culture shock NFL-wise because I left Philadelphia, which was like Bel Air, and then I went to, to came to Arizona NFL football, which was like, uh, I, I don't, you know, just whatever, whatever low-income area in life mm-hmm. you want to be in. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't, it wasn't NFL football to me because of what I had seen, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of hard to focus, and I was young, and, and, and Phoenix, Arizona is a wonderful city, especially if you're a single young man. And uh, mm-hmm. so then he just kind of brought me back to what I was there for. And he really always talked to me about being the best I can be once I touch that field and then doing the things off the field that it took to be a quote-unquote professional athlete. So, yeah, he really groomed me. Uh, he was the foundation. And then when I went to Carolina, that there were a bunch of players there, the Mike Mentors, the Mike Ruckers, uh, the, the Julius Peppers, even my, one, of my, one of my very own, Jordan Gross, was one of my classmates, if you will, in the draft. And then Dick DeLome and all those guys that were there, Deshaun Foster and guys, they really taught me how to be a professional by example. So, yeah, I, I can attribute a lot of my success to Denny Green and just a lot of my foundation and, and my mindset in the NFL and how, how to work hard, especially taking care of your body because it's something that I didn't really understand. Again, like I said, you're young. When you're young in football, you think you're invincible. All right, mm-hmm. let's just get that straight. You know, and you're, you, you think that nothing can happen to you. And I was a guy that really never had a lot of injury. But he always taught me, then he taught me, you know, going and lifting weights. I used to always say, you going to lift weights after practice? I'd be like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> because yeah. he would ask me. So I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to lift weights. But it became second nature to me. It became something I had to do. 
And I attribute that to success in the NFL and, you know, lacking, you know, very little injury and so on and so forth. So shout out to Denny for that, man. I love that man always. And Denny Green actually, about Jeremy Bridges, said he was who I thought he was. <laughs> yeah, that was the famous <laughs> Denny Now, here's an, interesting, here's an interesting thing I want to let our listeners know about. I was reading about, of course, it all started for you at Southern Miss. And uh, your first game at the Rock against mm-hmm. Tulane on the first play, the guy that was playing across the line of scrimmage from you, you knocked him out unconscious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we ran a, a simple zone. Uh, Derek Nix ran the ball. I believe Derek got I, – I, I believe he went on to get about 15 yards, but they ran a simple zone. I had a tight end combo up, front, up to a linebacker. Defensive end jumped outside to play contain. I took my proper snaps and got up on the guy. I didn't even hit him down the middle. I hit him on his on the play side shoulder, but I, I lit into him. I mean, I literally just dip, dip, dip your hips, explode through your hair, every, everything formed, and I knocked him completely unconscious. And, and I, I just remember turning around, and it was on our sideline, and the bench going crazy, like the Quincy Scott, and he was like the Quincy Scott was actually on the field. Like <laughs> you know, the Quincy, you, know, you guys know the Quincy. He played defense with seven minutes, so he was on the sideline. He was on the field slapping my helmet, and I'm like looking around, and I see the kid on the ground. I start to feel bad because you know you don't want to hurt nobody, but right. it, it was a great feeling. It was a wonderful introduction to Southern Miss football. Man. Well, I, as millennial football fans would say, that wasn't very nice, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know millennials. I coach them. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeremy, we got Luke Johnson on the phone. I think you guys know one another. I know that fella. How you doing, Luke? Doing good, B.I. Good to talk to you, man. Uh, t- talk about, just for a second, about when you came in uh, as a freshman, you know, you're looking up to guys like T.J. Slaughter. You're looking up to guys like Adelius Thomas, like uh, D.Q. Scott. What did that mean for you to be able to walk into a program where there were just so, some outstanding leaders ahead of you? You know, the, the thing about Southern Miss football, and everybody asked me, because I, I, I was highly recruited, you know, by the SEC, and I was I was a rarity, size and speed and strength and all that stuff, and Southern Miss didn't lie to me. They told me the exact truth, right, when they came to recruit me. And Coach Bow did a great job. And, and um, I'm trying to think um, who – if he was a running back, running back coach at the time, why can't I think of this man's name? But Coach Butler came to CBA at one point, and they never lied to me, right? I played defensive tackle and defensive end in high school, and I was getting recruited by a lot of schools for that. But Southern Miss told me straight up, because I remember Coach Bow was like, I don't need defensive tackle. I don't need defensive end. He named five guys, Cedric Scott, Quincy Scott, David Thomas, John Nix, Delroy Stewart. <laughs> he was like, I got five guys that are most likely going to play in the NFL on defense. So I don't need a defensive tackle, defensive end. So I need an offensive line. He was like, you come to Southern Miss, you're going to play offensive line. I'll tell you, Jer- lie to me. Jeremy, we're up against a break. Can you hang on? We'd like to keep you for another segment. Is that good? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, no problem. All right. Jeremy Bridges is with us, former NFL and Southern Miss football star. He'll continue on the Eagle Hour after the break.
Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Welcome back to the Eagle Hour. We're talking to the great Jeremy Bridges, tremendous football player at Southern Miss and a 10-year NFL football star. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. Great place to do your Christmas shopping. If you live out of the state like Jeremy, you can just go to CampusBookmart.net, order it. They'll deliver it right to your front door if you're local. And, of course, you can visit them on Hardy Street. All right, Luke, continue your questioning of uh, Jeremy Bridges. So, Jeremy, uh, you were talking about how Southern Miss was just straight up with you. And, and when you came in, obviously you played uh, offensive uh, offensive line. I always remember um, when when I was a freshman uh, looking up to you guys, you and Torrin Tucker and Jimenez and, and Jim Hicks and all that. Man, by the time that you left, there, you, you guys up front, you were an offensive force. Yeah, we uh, we always joke about it. We have like a group chat, uh, all of us, uh, Jerry Parkhead, Jim Hicks, like you said, him and Ness Tuck. Uh, we all have a group chat, and we all laugh and joke. We send pictures and everything. Uh, we were one of the best offensive linemen, I mean, offensive lines in the nation uh, for two years straight. And just the size and the speed and the nasty – we, we were just a good group, and uh, Chris Klonakis was a huge part of that. Uh, he was our coach at the time. He really groomed all of us to be next-level players because we all had to learn how to play different positions. Uh, but it was like it was just kind of like a passing the torch down type thing. Like We wanted to be like the guys that came before us, so Frankie Firestone and uh, Big Shed Blackman, rest in peace to him, and uh, Big Hank, and, and guys like that that we learned from. So we, we And then, of course, we got brought in, as you asked the question you asked in the last segment about, uh, the guys looking up to, like, just that whole D-line that I named, we came in in a school of hard knocks. Like, <laughs> it was no there was no easy days at practice dealing with all them them, them big, those, those huge stars over there on our defense, which which entailed the nasty bunch at the time. Like, man, you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't be soft. Like, there's no way you could be soft or be anything but, but, uh, but super hard dealing with those guys. So they groomed us to be – better and so us going against them dudes in practice and then going against guys on saturday it was like hey whatever we just seen the best so y'all just getting the brunt of our aggression you uh you you talked about how uh you you were passing down stuff i want to tell on you here jeremy you'll remember this you know when freshmen are come in come in they're supposed to you know groom uh, the seniors are supposed to groom them so I was in study hall with Jeremy, and uh, we had these computers that Miss Tracy Robinson, our academic instructor, or she she couldn't see them. So Jeremy said, "Hey man, this is what you do. Uh, you go to wheelswheelswheels.com. That was Jeremy's favorite website in study hall. Bi, you remember that? You would go there and you would yeah. design cars. And I was yeah. a freshman watching uh, you. You know, one of the one of the leaders on the team. And uh, man, we used to have a, a riot up in study hall, drive Miss Tracy crazy, didn't we? <laughs> of course. Without a doubt. But one of the things I want people to know is that I was at Southern Miss for five years. All right, so my senior year <laughs> on the field, uh, which would be your freshman year, redshirt freshman year, I'd already graduated. All right, so <laughs> like uh, study hall was just kind of required for everybody. And as you got older, like you know, senior year, I had like maybe three hours of study hall that week. Uh, so yeah, man, uh, I hate to, I, I hate that I polluted your mind like that, my bad, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> look. I don't want to get to all the things that were passed down from Southern Miss football players. <laughs> so we don't want to get to that conversation. Well, Jeremy, I want to ask you about the intelligence of offensive line because when you look at the coach, head coaches in the NFL, of men who have been head coaches in the NFL that played in the league, by far the highest winning percentage 
belongs to former offensive linemen. Offensive linemen are, are usually regarded as the smartest men on the field. What do you attribute that to, the success that coaches have had in the NFL coming from an offensive line background? Uh, humility and, 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 and the humble state that we have to be at as offensive linemen. We don't get shine. We don't get all the accolades. We don't get all the praise. But if you want to be a good offensive lineman, which most of those guys were, you want to go to learn the position inside and out. And I joke with my offensive linemen and our coach now, I knew everything, and this was even in college, I knew everything that five people to my left and five people to my right were doing. I know you guys know I played tackle. So that means I knew what my widest wide receiver, who was usually the X, was doing. I knew what route he was running on certain plays. I knew what my running back had protection-wise. I knew all the quarterback checks. And I could change protections at any time that I wanted to because I had that ability because I could see safety. You know? And as I got older, I learned more and more. You learn, you learn different things from different coaches. Uh, Coach Magazoo taught me how to be a great run blocker in Carolina. Uh, Juan Castillo embedded working as my, my rookie year in Philly. He embedded work, 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 work. Like, that's all he knew was to work and technique, technique, technique. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature and the better offensive lineman you come. Uh, obviously, it was working for him because he had – four pro bowlers on one offensive line, which is pretty good. Uh, and then as you move on, get to Russ Grimm. Russ Grimm taught me everything about protection. He taught me how to change protections, how to read safety, how to see this coming, how to see that coming. So you take all of that stuff from everybody that you know and you learn as much as you can. And that's why offensive linemen make better coaches than most position coaches because we have to know so much. Uh, think about this. We, what we do, we have to process things in split seconds. Right, and if we don't process it, probably somebody might get hurt. Right, so within that split second, you know the assignment that you have. Something changes just that fast. You have to react to it. You have to convey. uh, You have to communicate to the guy next to you. He knows what to do. So yeah, we just we're we're under fire more than more so than any position on the field. Quarterbacks always get all the love, but we're the ones that 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 we're just as smart as the quarterback. So you're talking about. Knowledge on the field, the quarterback has to know a lot, but the offensive line has to know just as much. Well, if the offensive linemen have to figure it out in a split second, maybe the Redskins need to hire one as a coach because they haven't figured it out in years. Hey, the Cincinnati uh, Bengals have not uh, won a game, my friend. <laughs> not won a game. I, so. <laughs> it, it, I mean, <laughs> it's not, listen, I see you guys are obviously Bengals and Redskins fans. <laughs> so, whatever, again, top is all at the top, both teams. All right, this is just my football vision and what I see the outside looking at it's all from the top and I've been in in the organization of the Redskins I've never been actually in the Bengals organization even though I went and met with them for those three days but I was actually there with the Skins for two and a half three months of the offseason and that's coming from the very top and I'm imagining right. the same thing is coming from the Bengals it's coming from the very top and it's trickling down which is for whatever, for whatever reason they're not having success right now Jeremy playing in the NFL is a feat within itself very few college players make it to the league Playing 10 years in the NFL is a huge accomplishment, but playing 10 years of offensive line in the National Football League has to be brutal. What was your secret to keeping your health and keeping your edge in the in the middle of the NFL pits for 10 years? You know, my father told me one time uh, my sophomore year, uh, if you guys remember, my freshman year on the field, I had a lot of ankle injuries, uh, issues. I say issues because I had two high ankle sprains for most of the year, one on each, one on each ankle. So uh, it kind of they were kind of fluke. But my sophomore year, you know, so one thing I learned from that was to keep my feet moving. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Always keep your feet moving. And even if you're engaged in the block, you always keep your feet moving. And my dad told me that one day after the game, he was like, man, he said, your feet. He called me Super Mario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he like, your feet are like that little game Mario Brothers. He said, because they never stop moving. And he was like, well, I guess that's why you stay healthy. But I tell everybody to ask me, oh, 10 years, how'd you do it? Minimal injury. I only had one surgery, and that was on my hand. I tore a ligament off my thumb, my left hand. And I tell them all the time, it's my faith in God and my faith in the weight room. I, I, I lift. I lifted faithfully. Like I, 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 you could, you could, if you wanted to find me during the week, I was usually a morning workout guy. Uh, and then in the afternoon, I'd probably do cardio after practice. But you have to condition your body for the fight. It's just like being a boxer. You know, you, 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 you spar. You constantly throw those punches. You constantly move. And you constantly get ready to take blows and give blows. And your body has to be conditioned for that always. And as I got older, I learned more and more on how to take care of my body. But uh, a little bit of luck, uh, a lot of faith in God, a lot of faith in that weight room. Yeah. Jeremy, are they calling too many holding penalties on offensive linemen in the league this year? Seems like they're calling an awful lot. You know, they're calling too many penalties on everybody in the NFL this year. Uh, But, you know, as offensive linemen, I'm going to say yes. Uh, Some of, you know, I, I, I jump up off my couch at least five times a Sunday. Uh, no matter what game I'm watching. I'm a, I'm a Arizona Cardinal fan because that's what my allegiance lies. I play with them the longest, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very involved in everything that goes on out here in the desert. And so, of course, when, when I'm playing, when my team is playing, I'm, 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 I'm raising all kind of hell. But I just, just to see my position being misused, like, yeah, it, it's getting to be a bit much. Officiating, this is my, my, my thing on officiating. You guys can stamp this. They need to put these officials on payroll. Mm-hmm. They need to make that their full-time job. Mm-hmm. You understand know what I'm saying? They have to make it that way so that they can get continued education so that we can have the best product NFL-wise that we can have. Because right now these guys, you got you got uh, Joe Blow who works at, at, at Home Depot part-time and then he's an uh, a, a NFL referee part-time. I, yeah, he, he, okay, he obviously loves what he does, but he don't do it very well. And then he's not getting that continued education that he needs to because the game is constantly evolving. And with referees, it has to be what they see. So they have to see what they see and throw the flag based on what they see. It can't be a guessing game. So, yeah, it's it's making the game kind of sour. Uh, but as far as my position goes, yeah, they, they always call the fouls on us. Well, there, there, there goes our sponsorship from Home Depot. Hey, great conversation, Jeremy. We're going to get you back, man. We can talk to you for the full hour. Is that good? Call you back? Hey. Maybe get you back again soon? Oh, yeah, whatever you guys want, man. Just let me know. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Jeremy Bridges, thanks, everybody. Jeremy. Former NFL football star on the Eagle Hour. We'll be right back. The Eagle Hour, Southern Miss to the top. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to us every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Trivia, food, great atmosphere. Uh, go by uh, for lunch. Uh, all those daily specials at 4th Street Bar and Grill. Proud sponsor 
of the Eagle Hour. Southern Miss uh, set to take on UTSA, making the trip out to San Antonio this week and to get a preview of uh, the Roadrunners. Andy Everett from uh, the University of Texas, San Antonio, joins us now. Andy, how's your Tuesday? Uh, it's cold here. It's about 40 degrees, but we're going to warm it up to about 65 for you guys on Saturday. But inside the Dome, it'll be a balmy 72. It's always is, and that we should be uh, in for a fun afternoon. Well, we uh, we appreciate you doing that. It's about thirty eight here, so we we feel the pain. Roadrunners four and five on the year, but three and two in in conference USA. Uh, Fourteen points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat Old Dominion. Tell us about this uh, two thousand nineteen version of uh, UTSA. Well, it started off uh, good because uh, they thought they had their quarterback issues solved with Frank Harris early in the year, and then the Texas so Texas game he got hurt. And then everything kind of went downhill for a few days, for a little bit for that game anyway. Uh, Lowell Narcisse has stepped in. He used to, he was at LSU for a while, but ended up transferring out of there, going to a junior college, now coming to UTSA. And it took him a few games to kind of get his, his, uh, feet under him. And the last two or three games, even in the loss to Texas A&M, he played really well. He played especially well last week against Old Dominion. And that's been the thing that has haunted UTSA for the last couple of years is having consistent play at quarterback and, now they have somebody, and hopefully he can stay healthy and finish out the season strong. I know. I know that coach earlier, Coach Wilson earlier this year, Andy was was kind of listed as one of those guys that is on the hot seat. Are things a little better for him now, or how would you describe that situation from an outsider's point of view? Well, I, I don't. Under, I, I think a lot of fans get disappointed when you don't win, and and when you don't win, you always blame the coach. And my philosophy on that is whenever you start talking about replacing coaches, tell me who you're going to replace them with. Uh, and I, I, I think he's safe. Uh, I hope he is. I think he's, uh, he's been fantastic for this, this uh, team. And he's had some bad luck go against him. If you go back to the 2017 season, they're playing North Texas. They're up a, a touchdown with uh, less than a minute to play. And Mason Fine engineers a 98-yard drive, and the defense makes two busts that lead to a score, and UTSA loses in the last second of the game. Uh, And if they win that year, they go to a bowl game. Last year, they had 38 players that got hurt that did not return from injury. Uh, And and so they were down to playing guys that weren't ready to play yet. And so this year, he had to start over, and he had to play two power fives on the schedule with Baylor and Texas A&M. So now you're asking him to win 60% of the games. So it's been kind of an uphill battle, uh, and they're starting to right that ship. And if they get to six wins this year, that's a monumental achievement. I, I, I don't care what anybody says about 500 with understanding that you're playing Baylor and Texas A&M as part of that schedule. Uh, the rest of the way, uh, the rest of the teams are all pretty good, too, and they've only had one FCS opponent. So if they can figure out a way to win two of the last three, I think you could paint a star on this season. Well, here's the way I look at it, too, Andy. Uh, the Roadrunners still got a lot to play for. I mean, they could have a seven-win season. They're certainly in the in the running for a bowl game. You've won two of your last three games. You also should toss in there you guys played Army. Army's never an easy out. Uh, still a lot to play for. And I'm one of the guys on this show that has kind of talked to my compadres here about this being a trap game for Southern Miss. I don't – Think Southern Miss needs to go out there and uh, and think that this is an automatic win. Well, I, I don't think they will. I, I think Jay Hobson always has his team ready to go, and I, I think they'll come hard. I remember uh, three years ago, uh, UTSA was a huge underdog, and you looked up in the first quarter, and it was twenty-eight to nothing, right. and the Roadrunners were, were winning the game, and it ended up being fifty-five to thirty-two. And I'm sure that he'll remind his team uh, of that. 
Uh, and it's, they play a terribly difficult schedule, UTSA does, the last three games. Ford Atlantic will not be a pushover. Southern Miss is right now the second-best team in the West, and Louisiana Tech's the best. And mathematically, they could still win Conference USA West. Now, they're going to need to win out and, and play really good football and hope some other teams fall along the way. Uh, but, yeah, this is one of those games where I think the momentum is, is on UTSA's side. They're playing at home. We haven't been home in a month. Uh, and I know they're looking forward to, to this, but it's a tough opponent, and they're going to have to play their best football in order to beat Southern Miss. And we hear that it's a tough place to play. The facility that the Roadrunners play in is kind of unique. And uh, gets very loud and uh, really not very hospitable for visiting teams oftentimes. Well, it's it's a dome stadium for one thing. And I've been in there for high school games when there's been 15,000, 10,000 in the building and it's noisy. And I've been in there for the Alamo Bowl when there's almost 65,000 and it's even deafening then. And things echo in there. Uh, and the, the sound system is was, re, uh, was redone a couple years ago for the 2018 Final Four. And so it has always been a, a very intimidating place for visiting teams to go to if UTSA is playing well because it doesn't take much of a crowd to make that place loud. Uh, and it's also, uh, you know, you're confined. The sound has nowhere to go, so it's going to bounce off of a metal roof and echo around in the building. Mm. Uh, it has, But I still think when you look at the college football, I, I know home field advantage matters a little bit, but I think it really matters if your team is good. And hopefully UTSA can have a showing where that hope field helps them. Kelly, I want to ask you your opinion of this. And obviously, Andy, jump in here. Uh, the, UTSA plays in a city where there's a really successful NBA franchise. Uh, the Spurs have been, you know, world champions uh, several times. How how tough is that? Uh, how tough is that to get attention in San Antonio when you play in the shadow of a franchise like the Spurs, Andy? Well, I think the biggest thing is that the Spurs have spoiled the sports fan in this community. They've won five NBA championships in the last 20 years. And there are Spurs fans that literally refuse to go to regular season or playoff games, and they're basically waking me up when we get to the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the one thing that UTSA has tried to do is to not promote itself based on winning. Uh, winning is the greatest promotion of all time, but you also need to sell the experience. Uh, and so I would say, think that UTSA football is the second biggest deal in San Antonio, maybe the third biggest deal because the Dallas Cowboys, this is a huge Dallas Cowboy town, and the, and the world kind of, kind of comes to a, a close. If you want to play golf on Sunday afternoon in San Antonio, the Cowboys are playing, the golf courses are empty. So you've got all the tea times you want. Uh, and, and, and so uh, this is probably a first town, a Cowboys town, but – I think UTSA, as far as being home and, and local, is the next one in line. Now, they have struggled with some attendance because they haven't won, and that goes back to that spoiled sports fan. But as they continue to improve uh, winning, I think that that attendance will move up. And you know, It's only been a nine-year program. You look at schools like Southern Miss and Old Dominion and Rice, they are not Old Dominion, but Rice and some of the others in this league, they've been playing for 100 years. Texas A&M, who we played two weeks ago, has been playing for 125, and UTSA just celebrated its 100th game when they played right. <laughs> That's quite a difference. Isn't it? And, and of course, it's, you can't say it's not a football town because I think the, the USFL had the gunslingers there, right? Yeah, the USFL was here. The World League of American Football has been here. The Canadian League has been here. We had the uh, a American Alliance of Football until they folded. So, yeah, we've had uh, a ton of football in this town over the years. I wonder if Vince McMahon and his new, uh, his rejuvenated, what is it, XFL or whatever it is, uh, if that'll be on the, 
That'll well, be on the if dr- he does, he's going to have to come with a bag full of cash because the last few teams that left here left without paying their bills. Really? How about that? <laughs> All right, Luke, what else you got for Andy? Two minutes left in the segment. Andy, um, talk about for a minute uh, the the ex- new exposure that Conference USA has been getting. Uh, I know you guys played on the NFL Network earlier um, in the season. We played on the NFL Network this past week against UAB. But every single game by is it's it's either uh, you know on Stadium or uh, ESPN Plus. You guys played on the SEC Network this year. Conference USA, especially from the media perspective, has really beefed up this year, and I've been thankful for it. Yeah, and I think the teams at the top, uh, Southern Miss, yeah, Louisiana Tech, UAB, uh, Western Kentucky beating Arkansas and taking their money, uh, you know, I think all of that, <laughs> that is the best been, part. <laughs> yeah, you get a million dollars and you still win. I think I saw a stat where Arkansas paid out $3 million and lost two games to, to lower conference schools. So <laughs> That's great. good for those lower conference schools. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I think that it, the conference is a little top heavy, uh, but I think every conference is to a certain extent. Uh, but there's a lot of good football playing here. And the Old Dominion game, you know, it was a, a three-win team against a one-win team, but it was an exciting football game. And if anybody went to that game and said they weren't entertained, uh, they need to check themselves at the door because that was a fun game to be a part of and to watch and for us to call. So, um, yeah, the more you, exposure you can get to that, the only thing I don't like about the college football system is that the, the smaller schools don't have a chance to play for the national championship. And I've always said if the uh, – if the uh, if, uh, if the college football playoff expands to eight teams, that a non-Power 5 conference school should get a bid if they're undefeated. And that would be a Central Florida. Or if anybody from Conference USA ever goes unbeaten, they should get the eight seed. They probably won't beat the one seed, but at least they should be given the opportunity to do so. And I think at some point we'll see an eight-team playoff with the five conference champions and three at-larges. I just hope they make a spot for the Conference USA, should they have an undefeated team. 100% agree with you, Andy. No question about it. Hey, we always enjoy having you on our show, man. We'll look forward to our next conversation soon. Sounds good. Thanks, thanks guys. Andy Everett, everybody, is the play-by-play voice for the Roadrunners out at Texas San Antonio. It's going to be a tough game, Kelly Sander, I'm telling you. Is Andy off the line? Is Andy off the line? Yeah, nah, well, Southern's going to win big. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Goldport Home Center brings you the fourth segment of the Eagle Hour every single day. The largest inventory of new and used manufactured housings. Go check them out on Highway 49 in Goldport or online goldporthomecenter.ms. Southern Miss football coach Jay Hobson uh, with the media. Yesterday, uh, was pleased with the play of, uh, of really his team overall. Uh, didn't like, obviously, giving up the safety deep in his own, uh, in our own end zone. Players of the week, Shannon Showers on defense, uh, Steven Anderson 
uh, as offense, and then Andrew Stein, not only special teams player of the week for uh, the Golden Eagles, but for Conference USA. What Coach Option said about UTSA, the talented team, well-coached football team, good running backs, good receivers, and the quarterback is a dual threat. So Southern Miss will take on UTSA. Appreciate Andy Everett giving us that preview of the Roadrunners. This coming Saturday, 5 p.m., it will be on ESPN Plus in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Always remember, you can stream the Eagle Hour uh, every single day, and you can always go back on demand. And if you're you're unable to listen uh, to WLAU or uh, the Hattiesburg Super Talk station, uh, you can always, while we are live, you can go on to supertalkhattiesburg.com, supertalklaurel.com, click the streaming option at the top of the page and listen live anywhere in the world. And as always, you can go on a variety of platforms uh, to be able to listen to our podcast. So uh, Eagle Hour on the road this week, right, Bob? Right, Warren and Warren Asphalt in Foxworth tomorrow afternoon. That's just the other side of Columbia. We're certainly looking forward to that. And uh, then Friday, I think you guys are going to be at Ramey Motors in Purvis. Going to get to the NFL uh, power rankings here. But first, Kelly, you, you make me a little nervous when you come to work and you're dressed up in clothes that I think you've actually purchased. And uh, you've got on your business attire today. Is there something we need to know about? No, it's this is a nice shirt. And you can't even smell the smoke in it anymore. You know, so, you know, wash it four or five times and <laughs> good to go. It's that little dark spot there on the arm, but I guess that's Oh, was well, that's part spot. of my lunch today. Well, okay, yeah. I got you. You look very nice. Thank you. Uh, okay, power rankings. Let's do the top five first. Patriots. Uh <laughs> All right, let's start with number five, and oh. I'll get you guys comment on it. Number five ranked team in the NFL this week, the eight and two Green Bay Packers. Number four, the eight and two Seattle Seahawks. Number three, the eight and one New England Patriots, America's team. Number three. Number two are the seven and two Baltimore Ravens, and number one team in the NFL uh, as of this morning, uh, the now eight and one San Francisco 49ers. Kelly, and then Luke. Patriots, number one. Still have to be number one, even though they lost. Right. The Ravens, and I think Luke will agree with this, the Ravens are a completely different team now at this quarter with Lamar Jackson, the way that they've got that offense designed for him. They're even running some college option plays, which the NFL just doesn't see. So uh, good for the Ravens that they're using the, the skill that they have to the best of their ability. And I think the Packers are still a little bit overrated. Where are the Hoodats? Where are they, Luke? They're number six. Saints should be number five. The Packers have to be able to do more than uh, than go off Aaron Rodgers' arm. Ravens should not be in front of the Patriots. Uh, Bill no. Belichick will be ready for, for a round two again. I'll tell you what, last night, Seattle drew up a perfect formula on how to beat the 49ers. Um, you know why Garoppolo's been so good this year? Because their offensive line was unbelievable last night. I mean, he Jimmy G had like light years to throw back there, and he was still rushing his throws. I think Seattle exposed um, some of what San Francisco does last night, uh, and it was a great game. I mean, Russell Wilson, what more can we say about him? I like the Seahawks being up there. 49ers should be um, maybe swap them with the Patriots. Ravens at four, Saints at five. Well, I like the Seahawks. I think they're a very good team. I think they're going to be very, very dangerous down the stretch. All right, the bottom five teams are, in this order, the two and seven Miami Dolphins, the two and seven New York Jets, number 29. Number 30 is the two and eight New York Giants. And Kelly and I are proud to report this news. The number 31 ranked team in the NFL are the one and eight Washington Redskins, followed only by 
the 0-9 Cincinnati Bengals. Luke? <laughs> well, I, I got to applaud you guys. I mean, for being fans of the worst uh, teams in, the, in the, the National Football League, I mean, you wear it pretty well, so I'll give you yeah, that much credit. I'm about to go see number 29 versus number 31 in person. The Jets aren't in that top? Did oh, you yeah, say they're the number Jets 29, the yeah, five? but they're going to they're gonna be okay. dropping down to number 32 after the only After good thing, the only good thing that has come out of this Bengal season, is I've gotten to up my dosage to twenty milligrams now. <laughs> 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 on a daily Here's the basis. Question though. of the day: Will they win a game this no, year? No, they're not going to win a game. No, no. no, they still have another game with the Ravens. They have another game with the Steelers. And get this: they get to play the Patriots. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now the only chances that they have are against the Jets uh-huh. and. Let's see some of the, uh, the Dolphins. They're playing both they play of them. The Dolphins. Dolphins. Dolphins have won two in they a row. Play the though. Browns twice. Right. Yeah. They play not, the Browns twice. So, I mean, there's the a chance. They're not right. going to the, the Jets. Two, one, two if, games. If uh, Freddie Kitchens doesn't hand off play calling to Todd Munkin, the the Browns might lose every single game the rest of the year. And I'll tell you, whoever has the foresight to hire Todd Munkin as a head coach, I'm a new fan. Yeah, no kid. He, 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 he deserves be, it. They'd be well off to let him take over the offense right yeah. now in Cleveland. All right, that wraps it up. Warren and Warren Asphalt. They don't do highway work. And never will. That's where we'll be tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Until then, everyone, Southern Miss. To, to the, the top. top. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.